raise your hand if you are married or even preparing to get married. Raise your hand. Just a quick poll. Okay. Now, so keep your hand up if when you got married or even now, you pretty much knew the kind of expectations of being married. Not that you lived them perfectly, but you kind of like, yeah, I basically know what it means to be married, right? Okay, good. So like most of you who got married, you kind of got it. Like, okay, so part of it, I mean, like we at least live in the same house. We probably have some meals together. I hear communication's a big, big thing. You know, and you, you kind of knew that going in. Like, okay, we're going to raise some kids and okay, good. Um, same thing, well, like when I got ordained a priest, so like, well, I had six years of school to figure out like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. Experiencing it is always something different, but I know what's expected of me based on this sacrament that I'm about to receive. You know, so if, if somebody stood up here in front of God and the priest and all the people and said, you know, till death do us part, and then walked out that door and got into two separate cars and drove off in different directions and never saw each other again, we'd be like, okay, they missed something, right? But if that was happening as like regular course of affair, like again and again and again, it would be like, okay, we need to rethink this thing entirely because they're just not getting it. Okay, raise your hand if you're confirmed. You receive the sacrament of confirmation. Okay, keep your hand up if you know exactly what's expected of you based on that sacrament that you've received. Yeah, we're not as confident about that one. Now, the Pope said, if there was ever a time when the sacrament of confirmation needed to be carefully explained, that time is now. That was Pius V. He said that almost 500 years ago. So don't feel too bad if you put your hand back down. However, we can't just continue to not understand what this sacrament is about, especially since most of you have received it. And if you have a sacrament and you're not doing anything with it, then once again, we're left with a fruitless sacrament that isn't doing us much good and may actually be doing us harm. Because as we all know from our favorite superhero theologian, with great power comes great responsibility. We saw in the first reading what happened with the Israelites. They're led out of Egypt by sign and wonder and the power of God. And none of them reached the promised land. Because they kept whining and bickering and complaining against God and saying, I just want to go back to Egypt God said, all right, enough's enough. You're not, you're not entering in because salvation is from the Jews. You had a purpose for me leading you out and you're failing at it. So to, to receive something, to receive a great gift, to receive a great power and to do nothing with it or to spurn it is actually more detrimental to us. So let's not, let's not stay in that place. So most of us have probably heard something like this. Maybe you were even told this by a priest or a faith formation director. Hopefully you've heard me say that it's not the case enough to, to have start looking in the right direction. But we've often heard that confirmation is becoming an adult in the church. Well, it's a sad commentary on what we think it means to be an adult if most people who receive the sacrament of confirmation stop going to mass. Because that's what it means to be an adult. I can choose to commit mortal sin whenever I want now. Okay, well, that's not really that helpful. But that's the, the stats of it is 80% of those who receive confirmation discontinue the practice of their faith. 
And if anything, a sacrament should be a deeper longing, a deeper participation in the life of grace, not less. I think part of the issue is that we've been building this, we've been giving this to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. They've not encountered the Lord the way that this woman at the well encountered the Lord, and we've just given them another sacrament. So quick historical setting for the sacrament of confirmation. If, if you've ever been to, uh, if you've ever seen somebody get uh, totally brought into the church from scratch, they get baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist in that order because that's the proper ordering of the sacraments. All the sacraments are ordered towards the Eucharist and flow from the Eucharist. So an, an historical, by an historical anomaly in the early 1900s, Pope Pius V moved the sacrament of confirmation, moved the sacrament of First Holy Communion before the sacrament of confirmation because he didn't want the kids having to wait for a long time to receive Jesus. And so now confirmation was kind of just floating out here in no man's land and we didn't know what to do with it. It's like 11, 12 years old, 13 years old. Ah, what, what's, what do we do? And then it kind of, kind of just occurred to us like, oh, well, let's, we'll just make it into this like coming of age ritual. That seems, that seems to be fitting. And so it got moved even further back. We're now in most places in the United States, it's done around 16 or 17 years old. But it's not the sacrament of becoming an adult in the church. If you want proof of this, we have somebody who's sitting in the front row who has two sons who are two months old and they're both confirmed Catholics. Are they adults in the church? No. All right. So it's, it's not becoming an adult in the church, even, even if the historical setting for it has kind of given us this awkward un, unclar- disclarity about it. But there is an element of which it, there's a spiritual maturity. So in the same way that when we were baptized, we became sons and daughters of God, when we're confirmed, our father says, hey, it's time for you to learn the family trade. I'm putting you to work now. You got to earn your keep. Well, this is actually a great privilege, a great honor to do the Father's work. We want to work for him. We want to, we want to be in his vineyard. We want to be out reaping the harvest. We want to be out sowing the seed. And this is the great honor that he, he imparts on his sons and daughters. Now, the, the, the church teaches very clearly what the, what the role is, what the vocation is for the laity. There's a document in Vatican II that discusses this thoroughly. It says, the church was founded to spread the kingdom of Christ. This is the Christian vocation for each and every single one of us, to spread the kingdom of Christ. And by the sacrament of confirmation, we actually become soldiers for Jesus. And we're given the opportunity and the responsibility of fighting for and defending the church. And if we're not doing that, then we're not living our vocation. If we're not doing that and we're confirmed, our sacrament of confirmation is lying there dormant, fruitless, and actually an indictment against us. Now, the Vatican Council goes on, and sometimes we think it's the, it's the nice council, but listen to what it says. Indeed, the organic union of this body of Christ, the church, in the, and structure of the members are so compact, 
that the member who fails to make his proper contribution to the development of the church must be said to be useful neither to himself nor to the church. The one who has the sacraments of baptism and confirmation and does not live them is useless. Well, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be useless, and I don't want your sacrament to be fruitless. So let's, let's dive in a little bit more so that we can have the, this power that's dwelling within us explode out into our lives and into our community. So if we're becoming soldiers for Christ at confirmation, that means we're being given the spiritual weapons we need to be soldiers. If you've seen or read the Chronicles of Narnia, you remember the scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Father Christmas comes along and he gives each of the children weapons. Well, weapons don't fight themselves. They are passive. They need somebody, they need an agent to operate them. So if you, if you have a sword and you just keep it on your belt or put it on the wall or throw it in the, in the closet, it just collects dust and rust. It needs to be wielded. And so the children have the opportunity later when battle comes upon them to use their weapons. So too, have you been given spiritual weapons and the opportunities are rife around us to use them. If we don't, then it's actually our own fault. And so I want to just quickly go over them so we can tap into them. Just like we've talked about in the sacrament of marriage, we've got to tap into the sacramental grace that allows us to love our spouses as Christ loves the church. And so when we see, when Jesus is talking to this woman at the well, he says to her, oh, if only you knew the gift of God. If only you knew. Well, the gift of God is the Holy Spirit. And this is what we often talk about in the sacrament of confirmation, that we receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to see clearly what that does practically in the lives of the faithful, look at the apostles before Pentecost and after Pentecost. Look at Peter before Pentecost, denying our Lord, saying all sorts of foolish things, and after Pentecost, preaching the gospel, going to the ends of the world, and laying down his life for the Lord. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's the same power that was implanted in you by your confirmation. And these are some of the weapons we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of wisdom, which allows us to judge all things in light of eternity. So everything, everything I see, everything I do, it's like, okay, well, how does this, what are the eternal ramifications of this? Under, the gift of understanding, penetrating and teaching revealed truth. Now, again, this is a weapon. It's not just something that like, ooh, now I, I magically understand everything. No, it means I have to open the book. I have, to, I have to dive into the Bible and the catechism and the spiritual reading, but there's a gift there, a grace there to understand what I'm reading in a way that I wouldn't have before. A grace to teach and to explain to others what maybe I don't, I don't quite know fully, but I believe. These are, these are the weapons. The weapon of counsel, the, the ability to make prudent decisions. Doesn't happen magically, I wish it did. No, I gotta stop and pray and ask for it, ask the Lord to guide me, and then somehow he does. The gift of fortitude, 
otherwise known as courage, the ability to stand strong in the face of danger, persecution, and temptation. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. That's a, that's a really important. If, if I was going to say, like, if nothing else, you have the gift of fortitude. You have the gift to stand in the face of temptation. Those things that seem so scary to you probably seem scary to this woman at the well to go out and tell others what Jesus has done in your life. The gift of knowledge, to use temporal things, to use the things of the world so as to help you get to heaven. The gift of piety, which is the gift to serve and practice the church's, serve God and practice church's teaching. And the gift of fear of the Lord, which enables us to enter into right worship and devoutly into prayer. All these things that I can go through the motions, I can show up at, I can show up at the, the places, I can, I can you know, be, be present, but until I tap into those gifts, which I can only do if I'm living in the state of grace, they're just lying dormant. And this is just, this is just the beginning. The sacrament completes and strengthens the, the grace of your baptism. It's actually one of, probably one of the problems with that when we say the sacrament of confirmation. The way we use the word confirmation in local, in local parlance is, well, the doctor sent me a confirmation about my appointment on Tuesday. Amazon sent me a confirmation that my package has arrived. But this is not the same thing. This is how we've, we've, kind, of, we've kind of used the word wrongly. Like, yeah, I'm making a confirmation of the baptismal promises that my parents made for me when I was a baby. That's not what it is. It comes from the Latin word confirmare, which means to firm up, to make very strong. That's what we're doing. We're making this baptismal identity even stronger, so now, that I, now I have a mission that goes with it. And it strengthens the other, the other graces and virtues and, uh, and theological virtues of our baptism. So when we, when we start to know this, when we know that we have this arsenal of weapons, it's incumbent upon us to use them. Just like a soldier who's commissioned and given his weapons and then goes not to war but away from the war, it's a serious penalty more serious penalty than the person who just doesn't enlist. And so if you're enlisted, use the weapons. Go on mission. Ask the Lord for the grace to, to use, wield these weapons well. I would say, you know, so for the, the, the local church here, the archdiocese sets the rules on when we can get uh, when we can confirm. And so the rule is in between 7th grade and 11th grade. Here at St. Max, we've just said, okay, I'm not going to impose it on you at any particular age because I think that you can't, you can't force somebody into relationship. You can't force somebody into mission. You have to want it. You have to desire it. And so we say, whenever you're ready, whenever you would like that sacrament, then you come forward. You talk to us. Call the office. Talk to Andrew. And we'll start setting you up with the, the program for you. How, what, what do you need to take the next step in your faith? We've actually had in the last couple of years several young people who requested permission to get uh, confirmed earlier than seventh grade. 
And so we had some fifth and sixth graders confirmed, which I think is actually a better age for confirmation because if we really believe in what sacrament of confirmation is and does, then do we really want to send our children to high school without it? Because all the first-time exposure of pornography and smoking and drugs and sex and etc. happens in middle school, not in high school. That's like, that's like sending send them off to battle and saying, hey, we'll get you a, a map and a gun in a couple years, but good luck until then. So if you want to write a letter uh, to the bishop and ask for permission to get baptized or confirmed early, then give that to me and I'll send that to the, to the bishop. And um, maybe I know that he's actually thinking about allowing this on a more broad scale, but for now, let's just, it doesn't hurt to ask. Brothers and sisters, if we only knew the gift of God, just look at this encounter of this woman in the gospel. She doesn't know Jesus. She encounters him anew and her life is changed. I think this is why for so many of us, the sacrament of confirmation just lies dormant because we haven't encountered him. We haven't encountered him really and truly in all his power and majesty. And so we have to pray for that and we have to put ourselves in, in the opportunity to encounter him. This is one of the points of the rescue project. This is the point of Coriezu. This is the point of many of the things that we're trying to do here at the parish to allow us to encounter him again is only one we've had an encounter with him and entered into a relationship with him. Can we, like this woman, go out and give testimony to the things that the Lord has done in our life? Let's ask the Lord for that grace today to re-encounter him, to reinvigorate in us the gifts that he has given us so that we may go out and give testimony to what he's done in our lives.